0: This is Dory Clark, author of Entrepreneurial You. Monetize your expertise, create multiple income streams, and thrive. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And marketingbookpodcast.com is also where you can send me a message with any comments, suggestions, or recommendations for the show. I love hearing from listeners like you from around the world. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MarketingBook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. I respond to every single message I get from listeners, so please introduce yourself. And now a word from our sponsor, which is where I work. It's a business-to-business marketing agency called Artillery. The companies that call in Artillery are typically frustrated with traditional interruptive marketing's declining ability to generate good sales leads and are overwhelmed with how best to use digital and content marketing to break through to the modern informed buyer. So if your company is struggling with transitioning to modern marketing, our all-hands workshop, buyer persona interviews, and content marketing plan may be just what you need to get unstuck and on the right track toward getting more qualified leads and more profitable sales. For more information, visit marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, On to today's interview. Today, we welcome Dory Clark back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about her book, Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive, published by the Harvard Business Review Press. Dory Clark is an adjunct professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and a professional speaker. Her previous books include Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine and one of the top ten business books of the year by Forbes and was a Washington Post bestseller. The New York Times has described her as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make change in their lives a former presidential campaign spokeswoman. She is a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and is a consultant and speaker for clients such as Google, Yale University, and the World Bank. She's also a producer of a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album. Dory, congratulations on Entrepreneurial You, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, I'm so excited to be back. Thank you. So, Dory Clark, after the, this interview, we're going to have to do a special induction ceremony because you are now a member of a very select exclusive club called the Marketing Book Podcast Guest Three Timers Club. Whoa, whoa. Honored. I love it. So you're there with David Merriman, Scott and Mark Schaefer and Joe Polizzi. Very good company you're in. Indeed. Yeah, in fact you're you're actually gonna class the group up, so now I should also add you also do stand up comedy, don't you? (laughs) I do, I do a bit. Yeah. I I decided
0: that one of my Personal growth activities for 2016 was going to be signing up for a stand-up comedy class, and so I, I liked it well enough that I actually took a couple of you know six-week-long classes, and since then have been performing various shows and open mics and things like that. So it's been fantastic.
1: That's terrific. In in lieu of a midlife crisis, I started performing stand-up comedy. I'm all better now, thanks. But I stopped. It was a lot of late nights, and but a lot of fun. And I have such enormous respect for for people like you and others who do the comedy. And the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize about stand up, it's much more about the writing than people realize.
0: Yeah, it, it's really true. I mean, you you do have to manage both pieces of it. You uh, you need to craft. Really smart, sharp, pithy jokes, and you need to be de- able to deliver them well on stage. So it's it's kind of a, a superpower, I think. It's a lot harder than professional speaking, just you know, giving a book talk or a business speech, because there's so many more skills at play.
1: Yes, and I think it makes you even better as a public speaker. So good on you, Dory Clark. So Dory, before we start talking about entrepreneurial, you, I want to ask you to go back. Because I want you to just describe reinventing you and stand out. The other two times you've been on the the podcast to talk about those and how this entrepreneurial you now becomes the third in the Dory Clark trilogy box set.
0: It it is so true, Douglas. Thank you. Yes, for all you Lord of the Rings fans out there, this is the next must read. You're here. <laughs> yes, there's there's a few less elves. But aside from that, you know, same page Turner.
1: Yes. Enjoy <laughs> to read. Take us back to reinventing you.
0: Yeah. yeah reinventing you is, is the starting point. This this was the first one. And it's really a book about how to how to get into the career that you want. You know, for, for many of us, we have a place that we want to get to, but but we have to transition. We have to kind of work to pivot ourselves to get there. And so it's a a book about how to move into that job that you want or that career that you want and do it successfully. And then Stand Out is about the next phase on the journey, a very important one, which is how do you become a recognized expert in that field? How do you actually gain the respect of your peers and get to be known by the wider world so that you are building a platform? And then finally, the new book, Entrepreneurial You, really kind of takes it to the the next level because as I discovered in the course of traveling around and and speaking about Standout and and promoting it and, and talking with people, I realized so many of us know really smart, good, hardworking, talented people who are great at what they do, and yet it still is sometimes hard for them to actually make money from it. And so I wanted to write Entrepreneurial You as a way of really demystifying that process in the new economy and breaking down in very explicit detail what the options are. I interviewed 50 plus very successful six, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs about their business models, literally how they make money. And so I I included all of that to create really a roadmap so that regular professionals, regular entrepreneurs are able to look at that smorgasbord, figure out what works best for them, and then hopefully implement some of this advice so that they can create more revenue streams and more opportunity in their own business. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, before we go further into an entrepreneurial view, I want to just put a period at the end of the the thought about reinventing you. So Dory Clark, you have this impact on people that you don't even know about. And I'm about to tell you about one. A few months ago, a, a good friend of mine who was an advertising salesperson. He's had a long, successful career doing that. He was working for in television sales. He came by the office and he goes, yeah, I just, I don't know. And I I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I think I got to find something else. It's just It's just driving me crazy. So we talked for a while. And as I do with a lot of my friends, for better or worse, I wrote him a book prescription. Ha! Love it. uh, You know, I get to read so many of these that I'm like, oh, there's a very specific book that you should read. And for any of the listeners that need a prescription written, please contact me. I'll tell you just which book to read. So I showed him your book. It was the only copy I have, but I said, you've got to read Reinventing You. And we talked about it and he got really fired up and then he had to go back to work. Anyway, Today, I saw him again. I was walking down the sidewalk. There he was. And I said, Hey, what's going on? Hey, did, did, did you read Reinventing You? He said, Oh, I did. I bought it as soon as I left your office. I read it and I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> and so wow. It, it, that was the light that lit the fire for him. And I said, Well, okay what's going on he goes so as it turns out for the you know for the next stage he's gone into uh, like legislative affairs for this not for profit that he feels very strongly about and he seemed just like the happiest guy in the world so there you go
0: <laughs> so, i love it i love it that that is an amazing story thanks douglas jeez yeah.
1: so i won't mention his name but uh, he's listening i'm sure so let me ask you one thing about the book back to entrepreneur you. I want to ask you to explain when you say that you know success has become decoupled from income. And you talk about that at the beginning and also at the very end of the book. Explain for the listener what what's going on there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 20 years ago, let's say, the economy was kind of a simpler place. You would do something, and typically you would get paid for that something that you do. So, you know, one one easy example is that I was a journalist, and so I would get paid to be a journalist, to write articles, and you know that was that was my job. Article for money. These days the economy is very different, and there's a lot more opportunity, but there's it's different opportunity, and you have to be a little bit clever in order to spot it. So in the intervening twenty years, of course, a huge number, forty percent in fact, of American journalists have lost their jobs. And so as a result, there's there's kind of this this glut. You know people aren't really getting paid as journalists anymore. Meanwhile, there's more outlets than ever and uh, and they're expecting you to write for free. And so I actually ironically, spend still a lot of my time these days writing articles for free. You know, I used to be a paid journalist. Now I make zero from it. Uh, A blog for a place like Entrepreneur or the Harvard Business Review, and I get nothing for it. But the interesting thing, if, if we stopped the story there and just said, well, that's the new reality, then we would we would all be screwed. Basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, OK, this thing you used to get paid for now. Now you don't. Now it's like you're lucky to do it for free. But the trick is you can get paid around it. You have to monetize in a different way. And so the process of, of writing the piece, the piece might be free, but the piece is a form of marketing that enables me to make money from speaking engagements and from you know executive coaching, things like that. And that is far more lucrative than my career as a journalist ever was. And so we need to teach people how to do that. Uh, in the words of the internet theorist Doc Searles, we need to understand that it's not so much now making money from something as making money because of something. And if, if we can help people make that transition, which is what I really try to do in entrepreneurial, you to lay that out, then the good news is we can actually do way better economically than we ever have before.
1: Yeah. The quote from David Doc Searles was one of the one of the, the ones that really jumped out of the, of the book at me about the shift from making money with something to making money because of something. So now I want to ask you to talk a bit more about why you know whether we work for ourselves or for others, we all need to find ways to diversify our revenue streams. Now, you say in the book you've got about seven revenue streams, but you know you explain that it nowadays it's far riskier not to be diversified regarding your income, and and that if you're relying on one paycheck from one employer, you may be courting disaster.
0: Yes, yes, it, exactly. I know this firsthand and this is part of what inspired my passion around the topic. Yeah, talk about September 10th, 2001. Yeah, so so people might r- recognize that date because so for me that was the the date September 10th, 2001 that I got laid off from my first job as a reporter and of course what what no one knew was that you know the next day Everything would change, and the economy would just come to a standstill. And I had gone to bed that night, feeling you know pretty depressed from having lost my job, But I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to start looking for a job. And then, of course, you know everything changed. The world blew up. and it it became very, very clear how precarious things were. I had been given a week's severance pay. They were really generous back there. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, so- suddenly I had to figure out what to do. And so I think for a lot of us, we, we don't necessarily recognize what a perilous situation we're in. I mean, I, th- I thought my job was was secure. I mean it might sound now like duh, you were in journalism, what did you expect? But the it's important to recognize the best year on record, the most lucrative year ever in the news industry was 2000. And then almost immediately it began to collapse because of the internet. But it's been a long decline now for the past 15 years. But this was an overnight shift from 2000 to 2001. And it was it was very dramatic. So having multiple income streams is certainly if you're an entrepreneur, but even if you are not, even if you're a professional, you you work in a job, you love your job, you want to stay in it. That is great. You should definitely do that. But it still is a good idea to have a side bet. It still is a good idea to have another way that you make income on the side just to give yourself that much more security. And also, frankly, because it can be an opportunity for you to do professional development for yourself, to meet new people, to learn new skills.
1: Is that what you talk about regarding a portfolio career?
0: Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, uh, multiple opportunities. You know, you think about an artist's portfolio where they've got uh, a variety of different pieces that they have in there and depending on the situation they can pull out one or another that's relevant. That's kind of how we want to be.
1: Yeah. There's a a friend of mine who's an author who's been on the show that I I admire and he, for me, is sort of the one of the case study of somebody. So if we could jump out of the book for just a moment, his name's Michael Brenner. And he was, he'd been in marketing, he'd been in sales, he worked at the big software company, SAP. And he was at the point there where he was helping them helping, like many marketers, many who are listening, transform their organizations more towards content marketing and not being so interruptive. And along the way, he started a blog called B2B Marketing Insider. And I started reading it. I just thought it was the most interesting thing because he was talking about you know, all the things that were facing him and so forth. And he started getting speaking gigs and one thing that led to another. And I just remember thinking years ago, I thought, you know, that guy is never going to look for a job (laughs) because he's become so well-known. And I'm sure his employer is delighted to have him, you know, having this somewhat, you know, uh, increasingly famous guy. And then he ended up going to another company and now he started his own company and his website's, marketinginsidergroup.com. In fact, I get to publish a post on it once a week about the podcast interviews. And I grasped that model a couple of years ago. And when I read Entrepreneurial You and something and stand out, I thought, "Yep, that's another case study for for what we've got going on here. Perhaps you could talk about an example of somebody, perhaps the nurse in your book, who do, did the same thing.
0: Yeah, I love I love the story about your friend, Douglas. Thank you for sharing that, because I think it really does exemplify it. And uh, you're absolutely right. I, I do have some case studies in Entrepreneurial U that reflect a similar strand, that that by creating outside pursuits, outside revenue streams, you, you really can advance yourself even at your existing job. You know, sometimes people think this is a zero-sum game that an employer is going to be threatened or upset or whatever. But actually, it's, it's often for, for enlightened bosses, it's the opposite. And so one of the stories that I tell is about a guy named Lenny Chan who started his career as a nurse. And he ended up as the head of communications for his hospital system, which mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of a, kind of a crazy career leap. And so I was fascinated about how he had managed to do it. And it turns out that really the key thing for him, he had gotten fascinated with apps and, uh, and just, you know, new technology. And so on his own time with his own money, he decided that he would figure out how to create a couple of apps. And so he, uh, he got them built, he got them set up. He, he offered them for sale on the, you know, the, the Apple store. And Anyway, this this you know was sort of his side project. Eventually, one day his boss heard about it and wanted to to call him into the office to talk to him about it. He thought he was in trouble. He thought he was in trouble. He thought the boss was gonna be really mad or or accuse him of something somehow having misused company resources or, or something like that. But it turned out it was the opposite. His boss was really impressed and said to him, Lenny, we need someone to head up social media for the hospital. I think you should do it. And the reason he was willing to give him this chance was that Lenny had showed this initiative. You know, he, he, he knew, the boss knew that he needed somebody entrepreneurial who actually cared and was passionate about technology and about communicating something in, in order to, to do this job right. And Lenny had demonstrated that. So so he he gave him that role and then he did so well. Ultimately Lenny was able to take on the portfolio of running all of communications for the hospital. So he got himself, you know, a great promotion, a great raise, a great new career path. And it was really because of this decision that he had made to just strike out on his own and explore and experiment.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk a bit more about the sort of the atomic particle here. It, what does it mean to become a, a trusted source as you explain in your book?
0: Yeah, so this is really the the key initial step, right? Because sometimes we're, where people go wrong, with online marketing or things like that, is you know you, you hear you hear people that the the bad apples, the extreme cases at the edges, talking about oh blah blah blah, make money fast, you know, and and you see that, and it's like well you know, that's not, that's not really good or possible. And so it keeps a lot of good people away oh, from,
1: from me, selling. Tori, let me ask you, I, I'm, yeah. I have to interrupt. That was one of yeah. my other favorite parts of the book. It was on page yeah. 13. And you said, what gives marketing a bad name <laughs> is the get rich quackery that it promises immediate results. Oh, yes. I stood up when I saw that. <laughs> it's so true.
0: I'm sorry. Yes. I interrupted,
1: but I just wanted the listener to hear that part.
0: No, well, I'm glad that you like that. Thank you, Douglas. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, and and from even for me, I just didn't didn't even really think of of online marketing or selling my stuff online as a possibility because whenever you hear that, it's just like blah 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 Viagra, and it's like, well, that's not what I do. That's like the furthest thing from what I do. So I'm just not going to play there. Right. But the, the truth is, on online marketing like that that's a channel that is that is a value neutral channel and there are right ways to use it and wrong ways there are good ways to use it and bad ways and if we can do it ethically then it is a very powerful way to reach people at scale but the the ingredient that is necessary beforehand the thing you really have to have in place is trust with your audience and ideally you know being recognized by them as a thoughtful expert who it has their best interests in heart. It, you know, isn't, isn't just wanting to make a quick buck off of them, but wants to provide them with some knowledge and value that really matters. Mm-hmm. And so if you can cultivate that, and usually that comes from investing a lot of time upfront, honestly, in sharing ideas, sharing content, often doing it at no, at no charge, you know, you, you work for free for a while. So you expose people to your ideas, but after a while, when they discover who you are, when they start to recognize your name and say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I really like how she thinks," then at that point, the good news is that you don't have to sell to them. you know it's not about selling to them. It's about just putting your offer out there and people will value you enough that they'll say, "Well, I want that." And so this the sale happens
1: mm-hmm. Now, with a nod to your first book, explain how. Content creation is also a form of market research.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So content creation, of course, serves many great purposes. It's a way of clarifying your own thinking about an issue. It's a way of getting your name out there and making people more familiar with you. It can be a form of networking if you are interviewing people you know for for articles or something like that but it is also a form of market research because you can you can test really quickly and easily what your audience is interested in i mean super basic stuff what's getting the comments what's getting the shares what's getting the likes what are you getting emails about you know this is not so hyper precise but in in kind of a ballpark sense you can really see oh you know whenever i'm writing about this people seem to get really into it whenever i write about that, I never hear a peep from them. And it begins to lead you in the direction of what your audience actually wants from you.
1: So you wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review about kind of reinventing your career, and it blew up. Yeah, it became, it became popular. And, and so and you had three the, book offers in a week or something, right?
0: So, close. Yeah, not uh, book offers per se, but I I had three literary agents approach me, and they were interested in possibly representing me. So, it was definitely an auspicious sign. So, you said, whoa,
1: (laughs) I'm on to something there. So, yeah, that's great. And also, other companies, uh, Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose talk about that in their new book, Killing Marketing, where they, they talk about these Companies that are publishing information that's very helpful for their prospective customers, and that starts to tell them what's important to the customers. Or even the food companies that publish certain types of recipes, they realize, oh, oh, look how many people are looking at this particular recipe. We're on to something. So it's it's uh, it's very interesting. Now let's jump to something really tactical and really important, but sadly very misunderstood by individuals and companies. And you say it's a serious mistake to rely on social media as the primary means of communicating with your audience. Why?
0: Yes, very true, Douglas. Well, you know, many times, just because of the cultural conversation, we read articles, you hear people talking all the time, oh, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. And so we assume that social media is, that's where the people are now. And indeed, you know, a lot of people do spend a lot of time there. But the the trick is, if you are investing all of your time, all of your efforts in social media, whether that is Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or what have you, that's not that's not something you control. It's not a relationship you control. You might have access to those people uh, if they have opted in to follow you on Twitter or to to like you on Facebook or whatever. But if if those P- publicly traded companies suddenly get into a cash crunch and they say oh you know we want to make some more money we want to encourage more people to have to advertise to reach our members then guess what boom they rejigger the algorithm like they have done before and you you suddenly can't even reach the people that are your followers it's a very precarious situation to be in and so ultimately, the only thing that you really control is if you have an opt-in email list and people have opted in to hear from you directly. If you have that, that is a treasured relationship and one that, that you need to really think consciously about cultivating.
1: Amen. And sometimes when I'm talking to folks that maybe don't work in marketing, but they're in the business world, I, I'll mention that you know you may have built an audience on your, let's say your Facebook page. And I keep hearing different reports that they may only be showing what you post to about 5% of your followers. And that yes. always surprises people. So you're basically, you're building a house on rented land. Doesn't mean don't use social media, but just identify what it is and what it's, what it's helpful for sharing things and, and getting it out there. But uh, I think in the future, you're going to see opt in email lists on balance sheets of assets for companies because those things, opt in email lists are like gold. And you said that. The, the 50 or so people that you spoke to in researching this book overwhelmingly said email's the way to go.
0: Yes, yes. It it, it really is uh, just a widespread consensus. And I, I think for, for some people, it may seem sort of strange or counterintuitive if you are used to getting the kind of just sort of default tacky e-newsletter that so many people send, you know, it's just like, oh, the standard template, you know, here's, here's what I'm doing. Here's my latest blah, blah, blah. You know, it's very, it's very sort of self-promotional.
1: Look at me, mom.
0: Look at me, mom. Exactly. But I I really would encourage people if if you're interested in email marketing, there's some people who do it very, very well. And, you know, copywriting is just one of the most crucial and foundational arts that you can have, and to really understand that process is just just interesting and transformative. I mean, I'll I'll say someone who does it really well, uh, someone who I featured in Standout, my past book, is Ramit Sethi, who runs a website called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Now, caveat: he emails a lot, but but they're they're very well done. The copywriting is excellent, and it really kind of shows you what's possible, I think, in terms of, of having a really distinctive voice that can build loyalty with it with at least a certain subset of customers.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll make sure to include a link to his website on your show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, Dory Clark, you are a worldwide professional keynoter. Can you talk about what seems to be the undervalued importance of public speaking?
0: Yes, of course, absolutely. So you know, speaking is an area that certainly can be a great part of a p- portfolio career. I mean, obviously there's no capital costs to uh, to starting something like that. so the the trick is getting paid for it is something that you kind of have to work up to over time. There for you know, for everybody, literally everybody who's a paid speaker.
1: so with with that in mind, let's walk through what what I was not aware of until now, which is Clark's Law. Of professional speaking, found on page eighty of your book.
0: Uh, yes, yes, this is a this is a law which I have come to discover is uh, is ironclad and steadfast that I discovered through my personal experience with speaking and uh, and verified by talking with a lot of other folks. And it basically goes something like, something like this. So, step one, phase one of Clark's law of professional speaking is no one is interested in hearing you talk. Period. <laughs> no phase two is yes they're interested in hearing you if you'll speak for free right. <laughs> step three is yes they're interested in speaking uh, in hearing you speak they even do have a little bit of money but it is but is a small amount of money mm-hmm. and then step four finally the it, you know which is a hard one to achieve. Is that they want to hear you speak and they want to do it so badly that they will, at that point, pay you
1: what you're worth. (laughs) Speaker's Nirvana.
0: Yes, so you, you really have to go through each of these phases to get to that nirvana. But you know, early on, for people who are interested in breaking in, I mean, there's a lot of good opportunities uh, just with local groups. You know, whether it is certainly with Toastmasters, but but you know, potentially there's opportunities with local civic groups, local you know, local business organizations, chambers of commerce, that sort of thing, where you can lead workshops or give give talks, etc. You know, like a maybe a Kiwanis or Rotary type thing, and 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 just home your skills, begin to do that a little bit. And that can enable you to start to polish your your platform skills and also your message so that eventually over time, you can work your way up to
1: speaking for money. Mm, It goes all through that in the book. But explain, however, why you argue that you have far more cachet when you avoid marketing yourself directly as a speaker
0: yes yes definitely and you know caveat this this is not this is not the case early on because if you're trying to get a speaking gig for free and you know it, it, then then just just ask just do it you're you know you're speaking for free i mean come on it's not like you need to like lose face or anything you're you're already saying hey i'll do it for free but but when you start to want money for things then it becomes in many ways a little bit of a a kind of power struggle because the the person who is booking you to speak, they really want to feel like they are seeking and selecting a true expert. And it it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate and ironic, but you you generally seem like more of an expert, you know, someone who is more valuable if you are not pitching yourself for that engagement. There's kind of a thrill of the hunt sort of phenomenon at play with uh, with someone who is booking speeches. And so now there are some things you can do. For instance, if you are seeking a paid speaking engagement and you can get a warm lead to that person, so meaning, um, you know, somebody who, let's say, is on the board of that organization or, you know, somebody who was a speaker at their conference last year you can tap that person to recommend you. And then it's not really like you're pitching yourself. It's just that you're kind of getting yourself recommended. That is a good way to try to gin up some additional gigs. But if you are literally just going in cold if you're saying, hey, here's my information, you should pick me, then a, l- a lot of times people just look at that and they're like, oh, you and 50 other people, whatever, and they'll just ignore you no matter how good you are. So so really speaking is oftentimes an activity that is best uh, pursued in an indirect fashion. And so if if I hear people say, oh, well, I want to build up a speaking career, what I will typically tell them is good, then write write books write blogs you know do a podcast something create content that is the way that you will be found and and you will you will get far more money and be far more successful if the people booking the conference feel that they have found you.
1: It was very interesting to kind of go behind the scenes with you to, to to see how all this world works. Now, we we don't have time to get into all of the book, but let me just explain for the listener, it's in three parts. And the first part is build your brand, which we've talked a bit about. The second part is all about monetizing your expertise. And there's all these different ways that, you know, are possible revenue streams in, in, in great detail. And in that second section, there's a chapter on podcasting, and there's also another one on blogging and and video blogging. Now, full disclosure, as soon as I opened the book, I went right to chapter six (laughs) and (laughs) and read the chapter on podcasting, which I really really enjoyed. And you talk about how in podcasting, as well as blogging, I guess for individuals as well as companies, I think you, you started a podcast Way back in 2009, and you know you experimented with it, but you didn't stay with it. But you've had a lot of success being a guest on podcasts. Can you talk about how that's worked? And I guess in a similar way, uh, it's worked very well for you being a guest blogger.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that one of the keys is that people's strategies and areas of emphasis often can and should change over time. Now, that's that's not to say if you decide. You know, something is going to be my thing. This is going to be my turf. Then you do get a disproportionate benefit from sticking with it. So, for instance, one of the people that I profiled in the podcasting section, Jordan Harbinger, has been podcasting with his Art of Charm show since 2007. So he's really an industry veteran at this point. He did not give up. He did not stop. And so, when you podcast for 10 years, especially starting at kind of the beginning of an industry, you are able to to really kind of win the war of attrition and become successful. So that's that's one way of doing it. But you also can benefit sometimes by understanding waves of things. And so I'll, I'll give an example from from my professional life. So for three and a half years, I was a very assiduous blogger for Forbes. I, I was a regular contributor. I uh, did between five and ten articles for them per month. I did a lot, hundreds, mm-hmm. and it was it was great. It was a win win, and you know met and interviewed a lot of great people. It was a platform that really benefited me, and so I, I felt glad to do it. But. Sometimes circumstances change, and so after three and a half years, I was getting ready to launch my next book, and they, which which was standout, and they told me, "Oh, well, we have this policy now that if you write for Forbes, you cannot be written about in Forbes." And frankly, I was just so incensed by that. I thought that was the most ludicrous thing I had ever heard. That is not the policy for any other. Media institution that I'm aware of. It's not the policy of the New York Times. It's not the policy of the Harvard Business Review, that it just seemed illogical to me. And so I I said, you know what? You know, I've been a loyal contributor for three and a half years. I've written hundreds of pieces for you. If you are not gonna let me promote my book by having interviews with people that would want to interview me. Sorry, I'm gone. (laughs) So I so I left and I decided at that point that I was gonna I was gonna pick a different strategy. And so that is how I decided that I would double down on being a podcast guest. And my rationale was: okay, Forbes readers have gotten to see a lot of me and you know in good depth for the past few years. Now I I went deep. Now I want to go wide. And so I spoke with a, a lot of different podcasters so that I could be exposed to different audiences. And so that that became my strategy. So it's, it's really just trying to get out in front of the curve and to think about what is the next best way that you can achieve scale.
1: And I, I recall that there was another book on the show called Traction. And that what they did is they talked about these 19 different areas of getting traction for a company and that they should try them all and test them and then maybe stick with three and they talked about how they applied all that to the launch of their first book. And they said podcasting was the thing that had the most direct connection with book sales. So yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's great to hear. So one last question about the, the book, I'd like you to talk about. You say that people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a day and underestimate what they can accomplish in a year. And you say that by choosing only two major goals at a time, you force yourself to make progress by concentrating your efforts. So how did you discover that? And and talk about how that works for you.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely while i am a very a very big advocate of that statement i can't take credit for it you know it's it's sort of an adage i guess yeah, uh, yeah. but it, but it is one that i that i believe in i think you know for the former part of it we all know this from experience right i don't i don't think there's a human among us that hasn't written out some ambitious to-do list for the day and then just been mortified that you know you you get through one thing out of 10 or whatever on your list because life intervenes or oh i forgot i'd have to answer emails too or you know Whatever it is, we, we're constantly, especially in our present society, feeling behind, feeling like, oh man, you know, I just can't can't keep up. But but the ironic thing is that when we look just a little bit further out, it is it is shocking the amount of progress that we really can make on large, large-scale, impressive, meaningful goals if if we do a little bit over time. And so, you know, just by by way of example, if you have a, a pretty minor habit, you know, let's say that you that you are going to going to do, okay, I will write 250 words a day you know whether it's for for blogs or toward a book or something like that. So let's let's pretend that that is the amount that you set for yourself. And so all right, if we if we have, you know, let's call it 300 days a year that you're doing that, that is 75,000 words. Guess what? That's a book. That's that's actually a, about a you know, my books are about 50,000 words. So it's about a, a book and a half that you will will have written by doing 250 words a day. That's a page. That's one page. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's hard for us in the moment to really understand sometimes how much progress we are making because we, we think in terms of the days and the minutes, not the years. But it, we've seen this. If if you have friends that you haven't seen for a while, and then suddenly you know you run into them, and it's like you know oh you know how's how's little Timmy you know is is he still in daycare? No, Timmy's in second grade now. It's like what? How did th- how did that happen? Yeah. And and similarly, you know I'll see people and they'll be so impressed like oh my god you have another book you just you just had a book and. <laughs> Of course, to me, it doesn't feel like I just had a book because I've I've been through this day to day slog of creating it. But to them, you know, they're not paying that close attention. It's like, oh, voila, another book. So uh, so it really can add up.
1: Yeah. So, Dory, if readers took only one thing away from this book, what would you hope it would be?
0: I would say if they if they take one thing away, it is that it is risky and precarious to have only one income stream and that everyone, day job or entrepreneur, should have multiple income streams. And and I hope that reading entrepreneurial you can actually help them think strategically about what that might be for them
1: and how to implement it. I guarantee they will because they're going to read this and go, "Wait a minute. I, I could do that. I could do that. You throw so many of them in there and as a matter of fact, just on a personal note, as I read through the book, I couldn't read a, a chapter without thinking about th- this podcast and how else, you know, what else I could be doing for the audience." So,
0: Nice. That's <laughs> what I that's what I want to hear, Douglas. Okay. That's great.
1: So that tingling minute was working, I guess. Ah. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, absolutely. I have I actually have a, a friend that is releasing a a book.
0: I, I think by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out because it's it's very imminent. Her name is Mora Ahrens Melee and her book, I, I love the title, it's called Hiding in the Bathroom. And it is a book about how introverts can be successful at work. So uh, I, I think you know, I'm an introvert and certainly, you know, half the population is, and uh, I think it'll be a valuable resource.
1: That's interesting. I know uh, Susan Cain had a very popular one about introverts a few years ago. Yeah, and, for sure. And actually, that's what I learned more about the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. And I'm surprised to hear that you're an introvert because you're, you know, you're always traveling around, you're talking to people, and it seems like that for an intro. What I learned, I thought it was somebody who's sociable or non-sociable. But as tell me if I'm wrong, an introvert is somebody whose battery is is more drained by being around other people. And an extrovert is someone who gets energy from being around other people.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I travel around a lot, and it can be kind of taxing. But, uh, but yeah, I'll give my speech, and I'll be able to, you know, to do that and and execute whatever I need to do. But then I just I just kind of slink off and and go have dinner and read a book by myself, and then I feel better.
1: Yep, <laughs> I'm the same way. You got to have that Dory time. Well, that's good. That's all right. So, how best can listeners learn more about you and the new book? yeah thank you so much Douglas. so the new book
0: it's entrepreneurial you and uh, certainly they can they can pick up a copy at Amazon barnes noble, et cetera. and noble etc and if they would like a free resource that i have just kind of a kind of a taste i have an an 88 question entrepreneurial you self-assessment which actually helps people really just walk through step by step the process of identifying and implementing multiple income streams in their own business and folks can get that for free at doryclark.com entrepreneur.
1: And we'll include a link to that in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. I downloaded it and having read the book, it's a perfect companion. So let me just close with one, one excerpt. Your work life and your home life are ultimately the same thing. Sharing your best ideas with the world is a powerful way to help others and give meaning to what you do. But we've entered an era in which influence and revenue have become decoupled. Because anyone can blog or podcast or self-publish, content has often devolved into a commodity. In order to make your efforts sustainable, you have to think creatively and consciously about how to monetize your ideas. With this book... I've tried to present a roadmap for you to do just that. The name of the book is Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive. The author is Dory Clark. Dory, thank you very much for coming back onto the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Hey, thank you for having me, Douglas. This was great.
1: that closes the book on episode 144 of the marketing book podcast links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com and that's also where you can sign up for the marketing book podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode And if you have any feedback on or suggestions to improve the show, or perhaps if I can make a book recommendation, I'd love to hear from you. (laughs) I get so excited when I hear from a listener. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we welcome Tom Fishburne, also known as the Market Tunist, to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Your ad ignored here. Cartoons from 15 years of marketing, business, and doodling in meetings. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.